Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings and greetings to everyone in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, in the name of Jesus the Christ. Today, we're going to be looking at chapter 2 of Jacob. We have looked at chapter 1. We have looked at the background of this letter, which is probably the first letter written, the first book in the New Covenant canon. If we look at it chronologically, just a reminder, this was written by Jacob, the half-brother of Yeshua, of Jesus, the brother of Jude that is also in the New Covenant canon. He became an elder and also called an apostle in the city of Jerusalem. He is the leader of the Jerusalem Council that we're going to look at at some point down the road in Acts chapter 15. He is talked about by Josephus, the great Jewish historian. Three individuals that Josephus mentions, mentions Jesus, Yeshua, John the Baptist, and Jacob, or James as we understand him, and of his reputation in the city of Jerusalem, respected by all men. In the early believers, Jewish believers, they had a faith in Yeshua, the Messiah. They were completely Jewish in their whole orientation because they are Jews. I want to remind everybody that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Salvation comes from the Jews. The early believers were all Jewish. They were not trading their Judaism for any other type of faith. Biblical Judaism is through the Messiah, through a new covenant that came through the Messiah, Yeshua the Messiah. Once we understand that, then we see that when Peter's going out, he's going out as a Jew. Paul never denied his Jewish identity. The early believers, when they are scattered, they're going out with their preaching and teaching from the Hebrew Scriptures about the Messiah and the forgiveness of sins that comes through this new covenant that God promised to them. Now they're bringing it to the Samaritans as well and also to the Gentiles, which was promised by Jesus that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in Acts chapter 1, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the progression that we're going to see in the book of Acts. So when we look at this historically, Jude, a Jewish man that becomes the pastor or the shepherd, the elder in Jerusalem, writing to individuals that used to be part of the congregation, the assembly, sometimes we refer to as the church in Jerusalem, they are scattered abroad because of a great persecution that came upon the believers in the city of Jerusalem. And when you look at Acts chapter 8, and Yoni is back with me here again. He read from Acts chapter 8. But in that chapter, these Jewish people were scattered and they went to Judea and Samaria first. But it said they went about preaching the word of God. When we look at the book of Acts, it's not just about the Acts of the Apostles. That is a man-made title given to the work. 30, 35 years of the spreading of the gospel by the Jewish people. But the best title should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. 
And so ordinary men and women were scattered. The apostles initially stayed in Jerusalem, but they went about preaching the word of God. Now, these believers, as they were scattered, these Jewish believers probably lost everything that they had because there was a man named Shaul, Saul, that later on his Roman and his Greek name was Paul. He began to persecute these believers, going after them, trying to find them wherever they were. But he was probably the one that initiated or he was one of the head individuals that started persecuting the believers in Jerusalem. Because when Stephen was murdered, they laid his robe at his feet. And so we see this Jewish man, this rabbinical, pharisaic man who sat under the feet of Gamaliel that he's going about and persecuting these Jewish believers, finding them. Who are these Jewish believers? They believe in Jesus. They are called people of the way. They were known in Acts chapter 1 as Galileans. Because remember, 90% of Jesus' ministry came from the Galilee. And most of the early believers were from the lower Galilee and some from the upper Galilee. And we see the Galileans. They were also known historically as Nazarenes. But they were called in the book of Acts, people of the way, Jews that believe in the way. And the way was Yeshua. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And so they're going about. They're in Samaria. They're in Judea. They've lost everything. They're being persecuted. Shaul is going after them to try to find them, to bring them back to Jerusalem, and to put them into jail, into prison, and to prosecute them for blasphemy. And so this is taking place. Now, Jacob, who is becoming the leader in the congregation in Jerusalem, hears about their struggles, hears about their problems, and he, and he writes a letter to them between 40 and 48 AD, writing to persecuted believers. And he says in chapter 1, He says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials and tribulations. We're not going to go back over that first chapter, but all of it is flowing through a persecuted church, through persecuted Jews that have lost everything. They need to trust God, put their focus on God, and understand that God is with them and to live a life that glorifies God. And we're going to continue that in chapter 2. Now, Yoni, again, is with me, so at any time, Yoni, you jump in. At any question, any comment, do you want to say any words to everybody today? Oh, it's it's an honor to be here, and I'm excited to uh, dig into James 2. Amen. So let's do that. Let's read verse 1. And again, don't put a focus on the chapter and verse divisions. This is a continuation of everything that he said prior to this. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, with an attitude of personal favoritism. He's going to start focusing on their conduct. Now, if I'm speaking to a persecuted church, I'm going to start speaking to their suffering. That would be my natural personal desire, not to hit them too hard, but to be sympathetic. But God is speaking through Jacob to speak to them about their personal conduct. Because when they're going through trials and tribulations, some people buckle or they turn back from their responsibility to live a life that honors God and they develop excuse mechanisms in order 
to justify their actions. He's going to start focusing on their personal conduct. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? When we look at this, Jacob starts reminding them about favoritism and the sin of favoritism. That when we start looking at people and what they can do for us personally and start treating them better because of their financial condition versus someone that's not able to treat or to help us because they're coming from poor condition and we start treating the one better than the other as we go through this chapter, this is sin. This is sin against the law. This is sin against the commandment of the law. And we're going to see this very clearly. So Jacob is saying, when a poor man comes into your congregation, treat him in the same way as a wealthy man that comes in. And not to be thinking about yourselves. As you look at the historical context, they have lost everything. So now a wealthy man comes and assembles with them, wants to hear about Yeshua as the Messiah. This message is spreading and there's some curiosity and some intrigue with this individual. It was natural for them to say, here, sit in this good seat. But then a poor man comes in and not to pay attention to them. What God is saying through Jacob, through this leader in Jerusalem, that is favoritism, and favoritism goes against the law of God. Any comments about that, Yoni? It's very tense when you think about it. I mean, I, I could I kind of see them, you know, they've been kicked out of where they're at, and they've lost their possessions, and, and I guess it's kind of, it's easy to, to see somebody who's doing well and think, okay, well, if I could just kind of buddy up with them, they could be friends with our church. They could kind of change our current situation. And I feel like, you know, even even though I haven't been kicked out of my hometown and whatnot, I can see that kind of also being, you know, something that I've that that I do in my own life uh, unintentionally. You know, I think I think well, if I could just have this quote unquote business contact, if I could meet this person, and so unintentionally, maybe I I look at somebody. You know, with the eyes of of networking as opposed to the eyes of Christ, you know, and really valuing someone's soul on the same level as as valuing their business potential. Yoni, I love it when you're here because it, you bring it back to a practical level. I I like the word you said, networking, mm. because it it fits so well to this context that I believe that is happening mentally within the life of the believers. We tend to look at people through what they can bring to our lives. Mm. And we see a person that is poor and automatically in a desperate situation, we don't see how they add value to us. 
and Jacob is reminding them they are valuable to God. Mm-hmm. They are valuable for the kingdom. And the kingdom of God is not functioning on who has more money. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you think back, one of the signs in which John the Baptist would know that Yeshua is the Messiah is that Jesus tells his disciples, go back and to tell John all these miracles that are taking place. And he also says, and tell him that the poor are having the gospel preached to them. Mm-hmm. This kingdom that we are part of is not about how much material things that we possess. It's about what God is going to do, has done, and will do within our hearts and how we're part of a kingdom that's not based upon finances or status within society. It's based completely on His mercy and on His grace. And what Jacob is reminding them, every person that comes into your assembly is important to God, equally important to God, should be treated in the same way. And we shouldn't be thinking about networking, Mm -hmm. what this individual can do for us, but how special this person is to God. Mm -hmm. So I love it when you're here because you're always bringing it back to a practical way and that we can see it today. I think in congregations today, we look at people that are going to be leaders in our congregation some days based upon their financial status. Mm. And what should be looked upon by the leadership, by the congregation, is not their financial status, but their character. Mm. And what qualifies them spiritually to really sit in a position of authority within a local assembly. It's never about how much money they have, how much status, whether or not they have a political position within the city. Just think, someone's coming to our congregation and they're involved in politics. We immediately think that they're a leader Mm. for our congregation. And we should never think in that way. We should think in the way, do they have a life that represents Yeshua the Messiah? Mm. Do they have character? Do they have an emphasis on the kingdom of God. And we should look at their life that is a demonstration of their faith. Now, this is going to be extremely important as we go through the chapter, understanding what Jacob is talking about. So it can be applied in a lot of situations that in our assemblies, maybe we treat people equally. But then when it comes to leadership, maybe we look at people that have been successful from a business standpoint. Oh, this would be a great leader. Mm -hmm. They could sit on the board. They could be an elder. They could be a deacon. And sometimes we think about the money that they can bring in Mm -hmm. to pay for what? For buildings, you know, to pay for programs, pay for uh, vehicles, things of that nature. And we think that these things are so important. But what we should be looking for is the character of God living within their heart and the principles of God's kingdom. That's what makes a great leader. Hmm. So this starts from the beginning as people come in. Everyone that comes in is special to God. Everyone is equal in God's eyes. Everyone is important. Everybody should be treated in the same way. And as we go through this chapter, not to do that is going to be sin. Hmm. So let's continue to read here. Verse 8, if, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scripture, 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Another way of saying this, or the law of the king. We're in a kingdom that has a king, and this royal law recognizes God as king, and the law is summarized, the law of the king is summarized in two statements. And Yeshua brings this out in the Gospels. Yeshua says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second statement is like the first, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Remember that Jacob is writing to believers. He's writing to Jewish believers that believe in God and they believe that the Messiah is the only way to God and that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Son of God, that has brought the forgiveness of sins. So he's quoting the second statement to people that already love God. And what he is saying that if you want to understand the royal law, you will know that you love your neighbor as yourself. The law of the kingdom, the king, the kingdom, what it's all about is treating people in the right way, that as you interact with individuals, that you treat them not with favoritism, but in a way that honors the king. Verse 9, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, when we look at this, the person that commits sin, this is talking about, I believe, ongoing sin. If he shows partiality in his life, he identifies with God, he identifies with the kingdom, but he commits sin and he is transgressing in his life and showing partiality and not treating people in the right way. He is a transgressor of the whole law. For if one person does not commit adultery, but he does commit murder, he has been considered or judged a transgressor of the law. And what Jacob is saying is that we have the law of liberty. We have, as believers, the ability in God's kingdom, through the power of God in our lives, to treat people in the right way. Now, Paul later on is going to bring out these principles so clearly. Here, Jacob is just touching on it. We have a royal law, the law of the king. Part of that law is to treat your neighbor as yourself. If we as believers and Yeshua the Messiah, as Jewish people, go about showing partiality to one group of people over another group of people, we are breaking the whole law. And this is committing sin. 
But we have the law of liberty, and the law of liberty is about the mercy of God that has come upon our lives, and what God has done in our lives, we want to show that same mercy to others, and we look at this law of liberty. It's not a liberty to go out and live any way that we want to, but it's a liberty to live for the King. And what God expects for us, you remember what, I'm, what the whole subject is about, is their personal conduct. But as a person that identifies with God, as Jewish believers in the Messiah, we are not to show partiality. We have a law of liberty. We have the freedom and the liberty to live for God. God has showed mercy to us, and now we show mercy to others. So a humble man, a man, a poor man that comes into our congregation we are to have mercy on them. We are to reach out to them and not show partiality to a wealthy man over them. And then he makes this great statement, for judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So if we're an individual that is not showing mercy, and we keep this in the context of seeing a poor man and not being merciful to that individual and not seeing them through the eyes of God, then mercy is not going to be upon our lives. And we must understand the principle that we see all the way through Scripture. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And I'm going to explain that for a moment. I want you at some point to look back at Psalm 51. Psalm 51 brings out this so well because David had committed adultery and murder. You remember through this passage here that if you do not commit adultery but you commit murder, you have transgressed the whole law. David committed adultery and murder and had pronounced his own judgment against himself that he should be killed, should die, which is exactly what the law demanded because of his sin. And when the prophet confronted him with his sin, he pronounced his own judgment, not understanding that this was his own life that the prophet was talking about. And when you look at Psalm 51, according to the law, David should have had the judgment of God come against his life and he should have been stoned to death in front of all of Israel. But Psalm 51 is a demonstration of his repentance before God as he writes this song in the Hebrew language to pray and to worship God and to repent before God and cry out for God's mercy. And in that psalm, he says, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. He cries out to God, create in me a clean heart, O God. He starts the beginning of that psalm, God be gracious unto me. From the very beginning, he's crying out for God's grace upon his life. And through that psalm, representing his heart and his prayer, he is crying out of repentance, mercy, grace, God, forgive me for what I have done. O Heavenly Father, I'm crying out with repentance from the heart. And God did forgive him. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And if we are people of mercy 
in every context, everywhere that we go. Now, specifically in this context, we're not having mercy upon the poor man and we're treating the wealthy man with such respect and such honor, giving them the very best. But we say to the poor man, go sit over there. We don't have any interest in them. We're not a person of mercy. God has shown mercy to our lives. Therefore, we should be merciful. And if we're not people of mercy, then God's not going to have mercy upon our lives. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And just like in David's life, we need to understand that principle that the mercy of God is the most important thing within our lives. Therefore, we need to be people of mercy. Jacob is dealing with their personal conduct and what is right. He is writing to a believing church, Jewish believers that are being persecuted, and he's speaking to their personal conduct during that time. Yoni, any thoughts or questions concerning this? Yeah, when, when you shared that, it really kind of started taking on a different light to me. And, you know, I started reading verse 11, 12, and 13. You know, do not commit adultery and, and, and do not commit murder, but if you commit adultery, uh, but you do not commit mur- adultery, but you do commit murder, you become a transgressor of the law. And we know that Jesus kind of elaborated on these scriptures and said, if you even say a hateful or mean-hearted word to your brother, you have committed murder. And so when I read that and I think about it, I realize how I am guilty in this as well. And my first response to myself is to say, well, thank, thank God I have Jesus who, who forgave me. And, and he showed mercy upon me and allowed me to, to be in right standing even though I, I, I have my failures and my flaws. And it just feels like as you were kind of elaborating that, that's kind of, it feels like that's what, what Jacob or James was, was kind of speaking to. You know, I, I lay back on this law of liberty in the sense that I know God has forgiven me for my sins if I would just have turned to him and there's mercy in him. But then it's just as convicting because I'm resting in God's mercy that he's shown through Jesus, but then I'm not extending that mercy to others. And I'm convicting myself, and God is saying if I'm doing that, and this is exactly, I think, what, what, what James is getting, if I do that, if I, the one who has received mercy, am not showing mercy, then I am no longer under God's mercy. Yes, and I like that you quoted from the Sermon on the Mount, mm. because my view on the Sermon on the Mount, that in the Pharisaic system, you could technically keep the law, but break the spirit of the law. And what Yeshua is doing on the Sermon of the Mount It's not just that I technically kept the law. The law of the kingdom is that it must come from the inside out. Mm. So if I haven't committed adultery, but I've lusted for that lady in my heart, I have committed adultery. Mm. If I hate that individual, I've committed murder within my heart. So everything begins from within side of me. So if I could get away with it and I could be with that lady, even though I don't have the opportunity, isn't it the same thing? Mm -hmm. The law of the kingdom is not within side of us. So what Yeshua does on the Sermon of the Mount, he makes it come from the inside. And this is what Jacob is doing as well. And I Mm want to say that was always the truth throughout all of God's word. Mm-hmm. Before the Israelites come into the land, Moses, Moshe says to them, circumcise your heart. Hmm. Circumcise your heart. Because if the law was not inside of them, it never was going to be something implemented within the land. And it never was implemented 
in the land from the heart. Mm. Even the time of Josiah, who was the greatest king according to the law, as soon as he dies, the people are right back into the same things that he had destroyed within the land. Mm. Think about Nehemiah when he goes back. The documents that the Jewish people signed that they would not do, and if they do them, the curses of God would come upon them. When Nehemiah is gone, when the leader is gone, they're right back breaking everything that they had a signed document that they would not do anymore. Hmm. So unless things come from the heart, unless we have a circumcised heart, which is what the new covenant is all about, I will write God's law upon your heart. The Sermon of the Mount is about... Not just what's on the outside, but what happens first from the inside. That's the law of liberty. That is the royal law. This is what is happening through the new covenant. It is a transformation from the inside out, which we're not going to show partiality. You're exactly right. The mercy of God. God has shown mercy to us. We have a relationship with God based upon His mercy. So if God's forgiven us of our sins, and we turn right around and we don't forgive others, Yeshua says, God will not forgive you. Mm-hmm. Because it will never be separated. Our faith in God from our life and our actions and how it interacts with the people around us. So if we are showing partiality, God did not show partiality to us. God did not look at Yoni and God did not look at Scott and say, well, they're not really fit for the kingdom. They're not really worthy for the kingdom. His mercy and His grace has come to our lives and we've come into this kingdom. And now the royal law, the law of the king is to treat your neighbor as you would treat yourself. If that is not implemented within our heart with the people around us, then we're in a very bad situation. And Jacob is writing to that, to these Jewish believers. Now let's go on from this point because he's going to make it even more real and more plain. And we're going to talk about faith and works. But remember, this faith and works is in this context that we're developing the flow of thought. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works." You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected or completed. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says... And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. 
you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Please see this as a continuation of everything that Jacob has been speaking in this section here, flowing from the first chapter to the second chapter, this second chapter about our, our personal conduct and how we treat other individuals. And what Jacob is saying is something that is true within the whole scriptures. Now, I want to stop for a second and look historically. Martin Luther had a hard time with this chapter, and he actually wanted to throw out Jacob from the canon of the New Covenant Scriptures because he actually thought that this was a contradiction to what Paul was saying in his writings. It was a contradiction of the gospel, and it, it is not. Actually, it's the complement. Jacob is looking from the backside looking at the actions of individuals to demonstrate their faith. Paul is looking from the front side. What brings us into this glorious kingdom? It's by the grace of God through faith resulting in righteousness, which we were created for. So Paul's looking from the front side, showing what the grace of God through faith, a transformation that takes place within us through a life in the Spirit. That's Romans chapter 8. Jacob is looking from the backside, saying, you want to know how I know that Abraham had faith? Because when God asked him to go to Mount Moriah to take his son, his only son Isaac, to go to that region, to that mountain, and offer his son as a sacrifice of worship unto God, not understanding what God was doing, what God was saying. Abraham believed God and he took his son, went to Mount Moriah, told his servants to wait here and that he and his son would go and worship on the mountain. But then he made one of the most incredible statements to his servants, I and my son will return to you. And he went to Mount Moriah, today which we believe is Mount Zion, where the first temple is going to rest, the threshing floor that David bought from Aruna. We look at this threshing floor, this Mount Moriah, and he goes to that mountain and he binds his son. He takes the knife. He lifts his knife up to heaven, willing to bring down the knife. And the messenger of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, says, put down your knife. Those actions of Abraham is demonstrating that he was a man of faith. He did not understand. He did not understand why God was asking him to do this. But he knew God. He had a relationship with God. He had faith in God. He had left the, the area of Or, went to Haran, left Haran, came into the land in which God had promised him and his descendants. He was a man of faith. His actions is demonstrating his faith. And the angel of the Lord says to Abraham, because you have obeyed my voice through your seed, all the families, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice, Abraham. Abraham is the father of faith, a covenant that God established with Abraham by his grace through faith, but his faith is demonstrated through his life. And Jacob is looking from the backside, 
talking to these Jewish believers that you're not justified by faith alone. And what he's talking about here, even the demons believe and they shudder. The demons believe who God is. They know that God is one. But the demons rebelled against God. They rebelled against His authority. They were kicked out of heaven. And their actions showed that, yes, they believe that God is one, but their actions do not demonstrate the king and the kingdom. So Jacob is saying that the demons believe that's no big deal. Anybody can believe with their head that God is one. That's the most important statement for a Jewish believer, that God is one. And so he's looking at the demonic forces. They believe this and they tremble, they shudder. But how will you be a man of faith? Is that your life is a demonstration of the kingdom. Your actions demonstrates the king. The kingdom of God is about the mercy of God. And if you're not a person of mercy and you're showing favoritism and you're going out and you're living the way that you want to live in rebellion against God and his kingdom, do not think that you're a man of faith. So Jacob is saying, you want to see my faith? I will show you my faith by my life, by what I do. And you cannot separate the two. Now, I want to say this is true all the way through the Bible. This is something where Martin Luther was wrong about. His limited understanding of Scripture was just based on one view from the front side. But this is just as true in the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. Everything in what Jacob is saying is consistent through Scriptures. You cannot separate your life from your faith. And this he is making very clear to these persecuted Jewish believers. In fact, he says, without works, your faith is dead. Without a life, live for God. Your faith is dead. Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. You will know that they're my disciples by their love one for another. Jesus never separates their life from their faith. And the Sermon of the Mount is about an internal change from the inside out where the law of God could be lived only as it lives with inside of us. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And only through a life through the King, this royal law, can we truly treat our neighbor or love our neighbor as ourself. Any comments, Shoni? Any questions? Anything <laughs> that, was, that you can add to this? That was amazing. Um, I, I feel like that really helps clarify this picture. You know, you, I've heard, you know, we're, we're saved by faith alone. But understanding, you know, that there, there kind of is no such thing as faith alone. Faith alone is, it almost, we kind of come to this assumption. You could bring the assumption that faith alone means there's nothing but faith. But when there is faith, there needs to be works because that's what faith produces. That's exactly right. Now, we are saved by the grace of God through faith, period, full stop, mm -hmm. from the front side. But what does Paul say? Which we were created unto good works. So that faith that is with inside of us, and Paul says, it's with the heart man believes. So it's not just a head knowledge. Even the demons believe that God is one. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's not just that. But when it lives with inside of us, we have been created by God to do good works. Hmm. So what is going to be a demonstration of our faith from the backside that Jacob is looking? 
He is looking from the backside. You want to see my faith, look at my life. Mm-hmm. And so they're not in conflict. They, they complement each other. And without the two working together, one, let me say it this way, one will naturally produce the other. It makes me think of, uh, I, get, I get this picture of, uh, of the harlot just cleaning Jesus' feet with her hair and, and worshiping Jesus. And it, it's clear when you, when you read that story that she was so moved by the forgiveness she felt, the new life that she had come to, that she was willing to give all of her possessions in worship because she was a new human and she was rebuilt. And, and in a way, the act of, uh, her act of worship was the, her actions, her, her, her faith put into action. It was her, her, the, the faith of, of what Jesus had done for her was so real that it couldn't help but overflow into love and into appreciation. You know, like the, the, the lepers that were, that were healed and came back and thanked Jesus. Their whole lives were changed, and that showed itself. And, and so kind of what, what I'm feeling here is this same picture. If our lives have been changed by the mercy that God has shown us, but we don't show that, is our faith even real? Did we even really be, were we really even changed? That's what Jacob is saying, mm-hmm. that we're not just saved to say that I'm saved. We have been saved by God's mercy and grace to be part of a kingdom that is different. Mm-hmm. And our life must demonstrate the law of liberty, the royal law, the law mm-hmm. of the king. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't represent the king in our life, then we probably do not have, we don't have faith in the king. Hmm. And so it's a natural thing that's coming from the inside. And the lady that you mentioned, she had such a love for Yeshua. And there was such an expression of that love that was coming from the inside. Yeshua was in Simon's house. And Simon did not even give proper greeting to him as Jesus came into the house. But this lady is pouring out her love through her tears and bringing perfume and going through an expression of love within our heart because she understands that through Yeshua, the forgiveness of God has come upon her life and she loves Him so much. And we have such an incredible picture of the kingdom and what the kingdom is all about. And you see a rebuke of Simon in this story that you didn't even give me proper greeting when I came into your house. But look at this lady. She has anointed me and her tears. She has washed my feet with her tears. And you see a picture of the kingdom. And this does flow into what Jacob is saying, that if God has shown us mercy and mercy has come upon our lives, then we need to be people of mercy and mercy triumphs over judgment. And if we're people of the kingdom and if the royal law is in our hearts and if we have the law of liberty, then that we are taking the things that God has done within our lives and it's been demonstrated in how we treat other individuals. And Jacob is saying, you want to see my faith? my faith in God and my faith in the Messiah and who I am and what the kingdom is all about. Look at my life. Look at Abraham. Look at Rahab. Look at their faith. It was demonstrated by their life. 
And he is saying that faith without works is dead. You want to see my faith? Look at my life. This is consistent all the way through scriptures. And this is what Jacob is saying to the Jewish believers. Now, I want you to think about this today. Think about what I have said. Think about what Yoni has said. But I want you to look intently into what God is saying through Jacob, through these persecuted Jewish believers that named the name of Yeshua and see the law of liberty, the royal law, and see that God expects us to live a life of mercy. And Jacob is reminding them, you have to live this life. You have the opportunity to live this life of mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at integrity global missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.